Hey, trivia fans! Looking for an exciting and unforgettable way to add some fun and friendly competition to your events or team-building sessions? Last Call Trivia has you covered. Our unique web-based app allows players to participate individually or as a team, making it easier than ever to bring people together, spark curiosity, create connections, and make lasting memories. Host your own trivia anytime with our new subscription and experience the best in interactive entertainment. Even remote attendees can play along. Check out lastcalltrivia.com forward slash shop for more information. Welcome to the Last Call Trivia Podcast. I'm your trivia host, James, and I'm so happy to have all of our listeners join in on our trivia team today. Our favorite part of Trivia Night is the discussion that the questions spark and the connections that those conversations create. So that's why our trivia players show their work and talk through the thought process behind each of their answers as we go along. So speaking of our trivia players, I'm joined today, as always, by the Last Call Trivia team. And that'd be DJ, Kelly, and Omen. Before we get started with the game, we do our quick little warm-up, get everybody's brain working, and I hear from our team members as to something new they've learned this week. Typically, I put it right on them to tell me what they've learned this week, but I'll start it off. This week, I learned what CVS stands for. You know the pharmacy, uh, the chain, CVS? It's the Consumer Value Store. Consumer Value Store. It was founded in Lowell, Massachusetts in 1963. And I feel like Omen gave me the most interested um, O uh, in in response to that. So I'm going to turn to him to get his uh, fact that he learned this week. Thank you, James. So I had the pleasure of visiting the great city of Cincinnati this uh, this past week, and I discovered that the Brooklyn Bridge from uh, my former fair city, your uh, fairly adjacent city, James, the Brooklyn Bridge has a design predecessor in Cincinnati. It's called the Roebling Bridge, designed by the same person who designed the Brooklyn Bridge, John Roebling. And it, it was built first, and it kind of acted as a predecessor and proof of concept for the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, Kinda and cool. it's, it looks it looks very similar. It's like, wait a minute, what's that doing here? With like a striking blue paint on parts of it, mm-hmm, which mm-hmm. the Brooklyn Bridge does not have. But yeah, it is. It's it's a nice uh, little connection there between the two cities. Kelly, how about something you've learned this week? <laughs> well, you already know what it is, James. I, I warned you last time this was coming. If you, if you recall, last time your fun fact was regarding the history of the term Ivy League, and I questioned the concept that you proffered that it had to do with the Roman numeral four being stated as Ivy. So I did a little research, and I, I read a theory that I think is more plausible which is that uh, in the 30s, there was a reporter whose alma mater was Fordham, which was a a football powerhouse at the time. And he was a reporter and he wanted to cover his own school's game. But instead, he was sent down to UPenn to cover the Penn-Columbia game. And he complained about having to go and cover these Ivy Colleges. And that term Ivy Colleges was used for, you know, 20 some years before this League was formed. So I think that's a more believable basis for it. I also think that when people see the Roman numeral four, 
you know, they might say four. They don't say IV. So that never really stuck with me. But in your defense, I did read a Dartmouth professor who studied this issue specifically is quoted to say, you are never going to get an answer as to where the name actually came from because there are so many theories. So we can each have our own and be happy. You know what, Kelly? Leave it to you Ivy League types to totally overthink the fun fact that the star of the episode. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. DJ? I took this very seriously. <laughs> I love it. I love it. DJ? Well, from the Ivy League to the parochial, I learned this week that the Pope is forbidden from being an organ donor. So the previous Pope actually (laughs) was issued an organ donor card in 1970, Pope Benedict. And when he uh, ascended to the papacy, uh, that card was invalidated, which is highly unusual. It's very, very rare circumstances that invalidate or or otherwise make illegal a a specific donor's card. But but that's the case with the Pope. And the theory or the logic behind it is that the Pope's body must be buried fully intact. And the body, once the Pope is, is dead, belongs to the Catholic Church. Wow. I think it belongs to the Catholic Church long before that. Wow. Yeah, that's that. I mean, well said and also an interesting fact. So look, here we go. In today's podcast, we'll be challenging the Last Call Trivia team with questions that previously appeared in Last Call Trivia shows in bars and restaurants around the country. Our podcast show has two rounds of trivia, three questions per round, and there's also a bonus question in between the two rounds, then a final question that closes out the game. Before we dive in, a quick reminder for you all that if you enjoyed today's show, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share this episode with your friends. It'll help out the show. And if you'd like to learn more about all of Last Call Trivia's products and services, visit lastcalltrivia.com for more ways to get your trivia fix. For now, let's start off with round number one. I'll read each question aloud for DJ, Kelly, and Omen, and then they have three minutes to discuss and decide on an answer. In addition to the answer, they need to choose a point wager. The point wagers in round one are one, three, or six, and they can use them in any order, one, three, or six, but they can only use each wager amount once per round. So they should save the higher wagers for answers they're most confident in. The categories for round number one are logos, book link, and television. Logos, book link, and television. Here we go, team. Logos. How many prongs are on the antler of the deer in the current John Deere logo? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Three minutes on the clock. This is the... This is the worst category for me ever because it's things that you see every day, but you don't pay attention to the specific. I don't pay attention to the specificity of them. I can't tell you what order the the colors in the Seven Eleven logo are. Like all of those things. Do you I not just, own a tractor, Kelly? It strikes me I, like you might. I was thinking I own too. A you see, Ford from the thirties. I don't own a John Deere. <laughs> I I was thinking you must see a John Deere logo more frequently than either Omen or myself. Uh, That being said, I did make a dress with John Deere fabric, but I'm not wearing it right now. So this is no help to anyone. (laughs) Um, Well, future future shows now have a wardrobe requirement. Kelly, keep that in mind. I'll I'll wear it next time. I promise. So this is I'm going to take a very anecdotal approach to this. I think that, you know, uh, John Deere is is a a respected uh, tractor and lawnmower brand and favored by people who consider themselves capable country folk. Uh, and and there is, of course, a great interest in hunting uh, among among many people and communities in the U.S. So I wonder if knowing that 
the makers of the logo, the designers of the logo of, of John Deere, would make it like the most appealing buck to possess. Well, no, because that would be that would make him ridiculous. Because you can't have like a twelve point buck on a logo. Like that would be far too many prongs. It's got to be something. The logo would have to be the size of a dinner plate. Has to be recognizable as a as a buck, but not crazy. So it my methodology probably yeah, has to be DJ. symmetrical. Right. Well, my question was going to be: Do you see both antlers or just one in profile? And then do you, you see, see them both? both the, the deer's facing. It's looking looking at you on the hat. Oh, I thought it was side profile. Okay, see, this is how much I remember it. I thought he was, like, leaping. I think it's going to be either four, six, or eight. Yeah, my, my immediate thought was that there's three on a side. That seems to be my recollection. Yeah. And it, they kind of go up. You know, they're, they're not out as much as they are up. So it gives, like, the impression almost of a, a shield. Uh, that's kind of the vibe that I... I think logo-wise, that makes sense, like from a visual standpoint, to not be overwhelming and also be symmetrical. So I would be happy to say six, but point, but, but put Last very call. few prong points on the. I just sketched. I just sketched a picture of it, and I think you're right. That looks to me a lot like the the John Deere logo. I think I think we yeah. should go six prongs. For everyone watching, that looks nothing like <laughs> a John Deere. It doesn't no, even look no, like but a deer. You're, you're the face, if you chopped off the body and just had the face. And I need a uh, wager that would be, uh, for you I, guys, too. What are you thinking on I think that? We should go, I think we should go three points. Three points, I agree, because there, there's one that's book length, and that one might might be rough. We might be in more guesstimation land. Okay, so three points is your wager, and your answer is? Six prongs. Six, six prongs. prongs. Prongs on the buck. Okay. So logos, here's the answer, and here's the question, I should say. How many prongs are there on the antler of the deer in the current John Deere logo? You guys say six prongs for three points. The answer, three prongs. Three prongs. And actually, Kelly, you were kind of onto something here because it is a profile. He's, uh, or she's, uh, or, you know, he's, it's a buck. He. Uh, The buck is leaping. (laughs) Through the air, so yeah. it's a sideways. So it's, one side. it's a sideways Wh- deer, not like a head. You guys are almost thinking of it as like the Milwaukee Bucks logo, which is more, you know, head on and kind of has both antlers in the frame. But maybe um, we're thinking of an old logo. That's what I was so going to we ask. Were when, actually, right per antler, three when, per antler, and you guys <laughs> right. said two antlers. Well, they, they wonder, have changed yeah, the logo right, I, a number of times. I mean, the company's been around since before the Civil War, uh, eighteen thirty-seven, but in nineteen sixty-eight was when the logo first shifted to a three-prong antler, and then there was oh, a okay. year 2000 redesign that made the deer leaping into the air for the first time as opposed to landing. But no, it was uh, three prongs since the late 60s. So it was really more about that profile as opposed to the you know head-on looking at it. But all right, we'll move to question number two. Book link. Name the author who wrote the following short stories. The Murders in the Rue Morgue, The Pit and the Pendulum, <laughs> And the fall of the House of Usher. Ah, here's a question oh. for me. Three minutes on the clock. The author who wrote the following short stories. The Murders in the Rue Morgue, The Pit and the Pendulum, and the Fall of the House of Usher. Um, well, I know this for certainty, so you guys can... Uh, do, you, do you have a geographical connection to this author, yes. Kelly? Yeah, I thought I do, I, in I fact. I thought you did. Because you, I've been to his death place and have little trivia about that. Because you lived in, was, um, am I correct in saying Baltimore? You are correct. Yeah. Cool. And you are correct that our sports team is the Ravens. Right. Well, now they are. (laughs) 
Good point. They were the Colts who were stolen in the middle of the night in a Mayflower van and taken to Indianapolis. Thank oh you. my goodness. Uh, but that's another story. So, um, yes. So the author that we're thinking of, should we, should we go ahead and say it? Please do. It is, I believe, Edgar Allan. Edgar Allan Poe. Po. It is, in fact. And what I'll share with you about our, our great local writer is his death is one of the great mysteries. Um, you know, he died at a very early age. Uh-huh. And the circumstances aren't really known because I think he was found disheveled and disclothed. In a ditch. And it it was suspected that, like, he had been drinking and it had to do with voting. Like, it was the time of the election or something and people had tried to like take him and, and, and coerce him into voting and right. it, it's this whole unsolved mystery as to how you know this great man died under circumstances that even to this day no one knows other than that there you know presumably was foul play wow. involved. To my wow. recollection, wasn't there a recent study in, in the last few years where they, they did some analysis on his bones and uncovered some some evidence of poisoning? Oh I didn't hear that, but that you know, totally fits in. So, uh, yeah, absolutely. I think we should do Edgar Allan Poe. And then what about a wager? Wager? Six ravens. Six ravens. Six ravens. Six ravens. However many, however many prongs are on a buck. That's how many ravens ravens I think, I think six telltale hearts would really do here. Nice. (laughs) All right. Book link. Name the author who wrote the following short stories, the murders in the Rue morgue, the pit and the pendulum and the fall of the house of usher. You guys say for six points, Edgar Allan Poe, the answer is Edgar Allan Poe. And, you know, often associated with Baltimore, as was the uh, whole deductive reasoning here, right, where he eventually died, uh, Poe was actually born in Boston and wrote his first poetry while serving as a private in the Army at Fort Independence in Boston. Huh. Uh, there's a connection to two great American cities Neat. there for Edgar Allan Poe. All right, so we move and on. And two championship football teams. That's absolutely <laughs> true. Unfortunately, at the expense of my Giants in the year 2000. So... Uh, we move on to television, and the question is, what actor and singer played Grace's husband, Leo Marcus, on the NBC sitcom Will and Grace? Three minutes on the clock. Oh! Actor and singer played yes. Grace's husband, Leo Marcus, on the NBC sitcom Will and Grace. Uh, wow. I mean, that was a very... I can, I can picture this man, and maybe if I can describe him, you can come up with his name. Oh, no. <laughs> I am, I'm not really familiar with that show. I, I remember being conscious of it when it came out, because it was a little bit groundbreaking, wasn't it? It was, uh, it was one of the first television shows to, to feature a, a, a gay lead, even though it wasn't depicting a, a, a homosexual relationship. It was... It was one of the first, you know, primetime shows where there was a gay person in one of the leading roles. No idea who played him, though. So he's very tall. He's Caucasian. He has brown hair. Uh (laughs) He is a fantastic piano player and humorous and appeared on American Idol in that context. Does Hmm. this help anybody? No. (laughs) We've narrowed it down to white people. Um, (laughs) Who could play the piano? Who could play? Oh, yes. Okay. And and not Chico Marx. <laughs> he was a famous. Okay, never mind. Famous piano player. <laughs> I'm really I'm I'm really struggling here. There's a couple of names that keep rolling around in my head, but neither of them can possibly. He be correct, looks a so. little like Hugh Jackman. Is it okay? Is there anything in the name of the character? Because sometimes uh, during that era of sitcoms, the names of the characters would be the names of the actors themselves. Is that is, is it possible that it's a Leo, Leo or a Leonardo? I will reread. It's what actor and singer played Grace's husband, Leo Marcus, on the NBC sitcom Will and Grace. Dermot um, Mulroney. Say that again. 
Dermot, Dermot Mulroney. Mulroney. No, no. Um, okay, that's Chris, the only um, only name that was popping into my head. It's so funny because I can even like hear. I, I can see him and I can hear him and I can't think of his name. Um, you don't have to think about the wager. One point is all you have left, so that's you, true. You have the full time to try to think it out. Mm, man, some of the stuff you I'd mentioned early on was like you know other things. I guess connected to this person. You said he he was um, on American Idol. Yeah, he was a he was either he was like a guest judge and a mentor, Last call. and he he performed. Um, I think we he's, he's we fantastic. just have to go with the with the name that DJ said. That's the only that's the only name that we have. What was it? It's Final. not it's not that per- Dermot Mulrooney was I who think I said. We're gonna have to go with that just because we have no other choices. Okay, so here we go. Television. Uh, what actor and singer played Grace's husband, Leo Marcus, on the NBC sitcom Will and Grace? You guys say Dermot Mulrooney for one point. The answer, Harry Connick Jr. Harry Connick oh, Jr. He's famous. Oh, I, I know he is. And you know what's so interesting to <laughs> yeah. me is Harry Connick Jr. I always had assumed that his father was a musician. So some years ago, I looked him up. Because I was like, what What was Harry Connick's music? His dad was actually DA of Orleans Parish in New Orleans. And his okay. parents owned a record store, which I guess is the whole music connection for him. But, uh, yeah, his, his dad was not a uh, musician. So that's the story of Harry Connick and Harry, Harry Connick Jr., at least as far as his connection to Will and Grace. Now it's time for today's bonus question. The rules for the bonus question are a bit different. Here's what we have in store. The answer to the bonus question will be in the form of a number, and the players probably won't know the exact answer, but that's okay. The idea is for them to give their best guess. At live Last Call Trivia shows, the top 50% of teams that get the closest to the exact answer win one bonus point. But since our trivia team isn't playing against anyone else today, the writing team set a predetermined range that their numbered answer must fall between for them to get the point for the bonus question. Here's the question, team. What is the product of the number of episodes Harry Connick Jr. appeared in, in Will and Grace, and the number of Grammy Awards he has won? Oh. Can you read that again, James? It sounded like there was math in there. Yes. Here's the bonus. Here's the bonus. (laughs) What is the product of the number of episodes Harry Connick Jr. appeared in, in Will and Grace, and the number of Grammy awards he has won. Okay, so we're adding together all the epi- all the episodes of Will and Grace no. that he was in, plus we're, all we're the Grammys. It's the product. <laughs> oh, it's a, yeah. Multi- yeah. it's a multiplication number problem. of episodes times number of Grammys. I failed so math. I'm gonna guess that he was on a dozen episodes of Will and Grace. It wasn't a one-time thing by any means, but he wasn't a regular. So. For li- I mean, Omen, you look like that's a crazy thing, no. but you didn't watch it. So. No, yeah, no, I have never seen it. I assumed that I assumed that he was playing the li- that he played Will, but no, of course he didn't. No, he no, played, no, no, he, he was not a regular character right, right, at right. all. He was a he was a guest, um, but a guest who appeared a, no, a, no, a number of times. Gotcha. So I mean, my I, guess is twelve. I, I like could be a dozen. There. I, like I think that. that sounds perfect. And then Grammys. So Grammys would, are for TV. No, no they're for they're music. For music. <laughs> Emmys are for TV. (laughs) So, you know, he would have had, like, best, you know, whatever, folk Americana album of something, something. I mean, I would say, you know, three is a safe guess. Because I I think he's got to have at least one, but it's not so many to be crazy. So my guess is 12 times three is 36. And both of those are 
absolute guesses with no foundation whatsoever. But what, what was the style of music that he played? Americana bordering, like New Orleans-y kind of. The reason I ask is because there, in some categories of music, it's a lot easier to get Grammys in than others. Like if you're going, if you're going for the pop Grammy, you have to compete with Christina Aguilera. If you're going for the like, uh, in the nineties, not in a couple decades there. No, no, but back then. (laughs) um, But if you, you know, if you're going for like the ragtime Grammy, you're competing with. Old Joe Slippery Fingers down the street. Is there is there a ragtime Grammy well, about which I'm I don't unaware? Know. There is might this be. opening up opportunities for us. <laughs> um, you know, to put him in a category, I, I don't even know. I'm going to guess that one of them is going to be something weird, like best spoken word, something or another, because he does unusual things. Right. He plays unusual. Oh, is he the one who plays the? Um, he plays that instrument. <laughs> That I can't think the name the of. The accordion? No, I'm serious. No, I play the accordion. It's a... Um, Concertina. No, that's a baby accordion. It, it's it, You will never have heard the name of it, but he, I think he debuted it on American Idol. He plays... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look this up for the end of the show. Um, he plays interesting and unusual instruments. So I think, I think we should... No, I think we should bump it's not up, that sexy. I think we should bump up his number of Grammys a little bit to accommodate for all these weird categories. I, th- I think we should say five... Five or six. Really? Does that sound crazy? Well, let's... It right, does, let's keep it but four. I'm willing to no, no, go let's with keep, it. Let's keep it at four. Last right, call. Okay, if we bump up to four, then it's 48. So, 48. Let's do 48. Does that sound 48. good? Sounds great. Yeah, 48? Okay. That's what we're going to go with. We're going to go with 48, let's say. All right, what is the product of the number of episodes Harry Connick Jr. appeared in, in Will and Grace, and the number of Grammy Awards he's won? You guys say... 48. The answer, 75. (laughs) So unfortunately, it had to be in between 70 and 80 in order to get the bonus point. James, can we ask where, on which which side we went wronger? So Harry Connick Jr. has three Grammy Awards, but he appeared. I was right about that. He appeared in 25 (laughs) episodes of Will and Grace. Okay. So you guys were really onto something with the Grammys, but, you know, the episodes just, you had it 50%. What are you going to do? That's tough. All right, we move on to round number two. The questions in the second round will be themed to a specific topic, and today's theme is breakfast, something I love. In this round, the point wager options have updated to either two, five, or seven points. Just like the first round, team here can only use each wager amount once per round. And they do have some higher options to work with here. The categories for round number two are products, international foods, and phrases. Again, under the theme of breakfast. Here's the products question. In 2021, a woman filed a lawsuit against Kellogg's, arguing that they'd misrepresented the number of strawberries contained in which Mm. popular breakfast food? Three (laughs) minutes on the clock. This was so ridiculous. Well, you know, I, it, it, yes and no. It, it's ridiculous, but at the same time, it goes, I think, to the idea that, you know, there's a there's a, a general understanding that a lot of consumers have, but if you advertise a product in a certain way, the expectation is that it's a certain way. And everything that goes into advertising a product, including the box art and, you know, the way that you describe it in commercials or, or other forms of advertisement, they, they all go in to create an expectation the consumer has. And I, I think this is a DJ. pretty interesting area of case law. I'm going to come out and say this right now. The Pop-Tart is probably the most over 
chemicalized, processed food product in America. So for anyone to actually conceive that strawberries are even a legitimate ingredient are we talk- is borderline insanity. Are you saying that the product is a Pop-Tart that she said that yes. there weren't enough strawberries? Yes. Yes, yes, really. I was thinking here's, here's Special K or something. You can literally see, like, you you look on the box the way they used to advertise it. There'd be pictures of strawberries on it, and I don't it's just care it's how one of those strawberries things. They drew. I don't care how pink this is they a particularly privileged position you're taking, Kelly, because you have to oh! remember that there's a significant <laughs> number of Americans who a did not grow up in this country. B, don't speak English as a first language, and C, are are making judgments based on image. Uh, assumptions or, or understandings of what they have on the boxes because they're not actually fully <laughs> cognizant of what and let's it contains. Not, let's not forget all the American-born people who are uh, illiterate. Thank you. Um, another, listeners, another valid point. Join us another day when DJ will be appearing for the defense <laughs> and I will be appearing for the prosecution <laughs> to put this case to rest dun, dun. because this was... So, this was borderline the McDonald's coffee. I mean, this is just The McDonald's just coffee case was also 100% justified. And Regardless they knew, of they the validity. That their coffee was too hard. She sued because the coffee literally melted her skin. That's how hot it James, was. Regardless the of the validity of the case. Can we, can we just uh, thank you, Pop-Tart? Th- thank you, Kelly. Seven uh, Pop-Tarts. I do need to know. Pop-Tart. Seven. Seven. Seven parts of this complete mm-hmm. breakfast, James. All right. <laughs> Very nicely said. Seven food groups. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Products. In 2021, a woman filed a lawsuit against Kellogg's, arguing they misrepresented the number of strawberries contained in which popular breakfast food. You guys say Pop-Tarts for seven points. The answer, Pop-Tarts. And that was wow. Elizabeth Russett in Beacon, New York, who uh, sued but I just recently read an article about a New York attorney who files these lawsuits all the time, about three per week, as a matter of fact. He's known yeah. as the vanilla vigilante. He's really into <laughs> going after companies when they don't actually use vanilla when they say that they do. Or like if a, if a cookie says it has fudge but there's no milk fat, he's filing a lawsuit. But big time on the vanilla and lacking of, again, known as the vanilla vigilante. What a niche career. It's a thing. It's a thing. Um, all right. So we move on to international foods. What item is added to the top of a croque monsieur sandwich to make it a croque madame? Three minutes on the clock. <laughs> Omen is trying to do his version of the He's meerkat dance. He's doing a bit dance, of a meerkat is, dance. It's coming across way more like belly dancing than <clears throat> that, meerkat. That's true. I thought he was, was striking a bit of a vogue. I mean, that's kind of what, what that let's, reminded me of. Let's, um, let us talk about the delicious breakfast, or really any time of the day, food, which is a croque monsieur, uh, of course, a French creation it translates to mr crunchy and oh man i'm gonna tell you right now if this ties into your history as a mime i'm, ch- I'm checking <laughs> no, no, out no no uh, well i mean only uh, since you bring it up only uh, only peripherally <laughs> in the sense that i ate them a lot when i was in paris uh because they were delicious um but uh so a, a croque monsieur is a, basically a a ham sandwich with cheese on it fried in a pan with a very special bread of course it has to be brioche um a croque madame is the same thing but it looks like she's wearing a fun little hat because it has an oeuf au miroir on the top of it, otherwise known in English as a sunny-side-up egg. And this, by the way, is why the French only ever eat one egg, because one egg is enough. <laughs> oh, nice. we haven't had a DJ dad joke in a long very, very time. Nice. Yes. It's a very special episode. So um, I think we should go five points on uh, an egg for the answer. Love it. Okay. So we go international foods. What item is added to the top of a croque monsieur sandwich to make it a croque madame? 
You guys say for five points, an egg. The answer for five points, an egg, a fried Mm. or poached egg. You said sunny side up, so uh, that's how they clarified it was fried or poached. But yes, we get that one right here. So uh, five points to the team. Very nicely done. And um, according to the Pettit Robert Dictionary, the the term croque madame dates back to the 60s. Um, There's also a croque mademoiselle, which is associated with the vegetarian version with chives and cucumber and salad. And then wow. in the United Kingdom, they call like a ham and cheese sandwich like that, little hot snack, a toasty, right? Is that yeah. is that right, Omen? So, uh, I, of course, I believe so, yeah. we also have a Monte Cristo here in the U.S., which is very similar. And if you want to kind of keep it in that same family, maybe even a grilled cheese sandwich. So um, certainly a common concept in cuisine. Uh, that's international foods. That's the French version of that whole thing. So we go into phrases now inspired by a sweet breakfast treat, what betting phrase for certainty is equivalent to the expression a pound to a penny? Three minutes on the clock. Can, can you run that past this one more time? Yes, there are I can. a lot can. of elements there. Inspired by a sweet breakfast treat, what betting phrase for certainty is equivalent to the expression a pound to a penny? So I've never heard the betting phrase a pound to a penny, but if you're saying that it's a, it's a phrase that means certainty, then it's as sure as it's a sure, something. It's as sure so, as sugar. DJ, unless you know it, which you're looking very suspicious over there, like it's either like you absolutely know it or you have no idea, and I don't know which way we're going with this, but I feel like we just need to name sweet breakfast treats until like something clicks. Right. Cinnabon. Cinnamon, cinnamon bun. As sure as a... Sure as Frosted Flakes. Sure as a sweet breakfast treat. You bet your pancakes. Uh, French toast. Bet a... Pound to a penny. Flapjacks. Um, Muffin. Sweet bread. Oh, Nutella. I guess a brand... Oh, Nutella. That goes with every breakfast. Um, Often you hear gangsters say, Yeah, a jar of Nutella to your mother. Has anyone ever said nope, that? No, that's not true. Brand Jump. new sentence. There's a pained look on DJ's face. I just wanted to point <laughs> that out. Um, sweet betting. Sweet oh! breakfast treat. I think I just remembered it. Is it not dollars to donuts? Does that not ring a bell? Dollars to donuts? Uh, I've definitely heard that phrase. I don't know that that's like a, a betting phrase that means certainty, but it, sure, it, it's, that's a it breakfast is, treat. <laughs> it is. It does mean certainty. I'll bet you dollars to donuts. That Omen's hair looks fabulous when we record next. Why, thank you. So which is which is the better bet, the dollar or the donut? I'm uh, not well, sure so, what it means. So donut, donut. If I'm if I'm recalling correctly, so don't British pennies have a hole in them? Um, not to my knowledge. No, I don't. I'm not sure. Maybe in the maybe in, in ages past they had one. Yeah, because I'm I'm pretty sure that a pound a, a pound coin compared to a pence would would be there's a hole in the in the pence so they so don't have a dollar, been a nickname and, for it and Last for a call. dollar you you can get a dozen donuts so i think i think that must be it so i think for for two donut hole points we should say dollars, dollars to donuts dollars to donuts yep. to yep. to well the done. only point option that you guys have uh, still to mess with here so we'll go with that we'll go with two points phrases inspired by a sweet breakfast treat what betting phrase for certainty is equivalent to the expression a pound to a penny you guys say for two points, dollars to donuts. The answer, dollars to donuts. Yeah. Very nice. nice. I was very impressed by that pluck from Omen. I was like, oh, I don't that know. Is. I don't know if they were going to get this one. Um, but yeah, actually, that phrase goes back to mid-1800s American English. And the idea being you're so confident 
that you'll put forth your dollars against the other person's donuts in the wager, despite the fact that obviously the dollars are worth more than the donuts. Oh, so, interesting. Um, it's it's you know kind of one of those huh. whole things. Uh, very very confident in your bet at that <laughs> point. Okay, that takes us to our final question of the game. This is a multi-part question, and it's also the only question today that our team can actually lose points on. The trivia team has to decide whether they're going to wager five points or zero points on the final question, but they have to get every portion of the final correct in order to earn points. And if they miss any portion of the final question, they'll lose whatever they wagered. So now that we have a little decent sample size of games under our belt, I'm going to let the trivia team know what their average final score has been up to this point so that they can take into consideration when deciding on their wager and then try to beat their average score. As of right now, the trivia team's average final score is 19.6 points. And right now, you all have 20 points. So you're just over your average. So you might want to keep that in mind when deciding on your final wager. James, can you clarify that the the that's 19.6 out of a total possible 30? Just so you know, it's a, a possible, possible 30, 30 points that you guys are eligible for every single week. And a solid B minus. The average that you have is 19.6. So uh, the fact that you're at 20 right now should be kept in mind. Again, five minutes to decide on their answer here. I think you guys are going to like this one. The final question is band or name? Band or name? Identify whether each clue I give you is a band name or a celebrity baby name. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Identify whether each clue is a band name or a celebrity baby name. Here they are. One, Gnarls Barkley. Two, Greta Van Fleet. Three, Powerful Queen. Four, Everest Hobson. Five, Zuma Nesta Rock. And again, five minutes on the clock for our team here as they try to decide if these are celebrity baby names or band names. Okay, so I, I recognize a couple of these. Omen, it looks like you wrote them down. Do you want to just say it out one by one? I've got, I, I've almost got them. So the first yeah. one was uh, Gnarls. Do you want to just run through them one Let more time, Let me run James? through them one more time, guys. Gnarls Barkley, Greta Van Fleet, Powerful Queen, Everest Hobson, Zuma Nesta Rock. Okay, so Gnarls Barkley is most definitely a band. I think they sing crazy. They do. So that's without question. Uh, Next one, Greta Van Fleet, also definitely a band. Uh, Don't remember the song, but I remember being recommended to check out their music, which I never did, but (laughs) confident that is also a band. I agree. Uh, next one was Powerful Queen, I, which I think is a child's name. It's got to be a child's name. An unfortunate child of someone like Nick Cannon. <laughs> yes, that, yes. I wonder if it's if that is the child's, you know, two given names, if it's Powerful Queen last name. Th- there's a last name. That's like first and middle. Gotcha. And really, you, you lose either way. You call them Queenie. Um, <laughs> uh, so what was the next one, Omen? Everest Hobson. I think never heard that. I think to me that sounds like a child's name because it's like, oh, I want to I'm you know, I, I want to name my child after something so big, something so cool that maybe I climbed or or maybe that's where the child was conceived. Crazier things may have happened on Mount Everest. Mm. Well, not the, the whole mountain isn't the peak, right? So there is a very large base camp at the bottom of it that's still 13,000 feet up. But and people you know, have to livable. stay warm. You have to stay warm. 
It's not. I'm sure there's probably a few children that have been conceived at base camp. <laughs> uh, let's put that one on hold for a second because the last one, the Zuma, whatever. I'm pretty sure that is also a child. Zuma Net- Netta Rock. Uh, I remember Zuma being in, in a celebrity baby headline. I, I can't remember the the parent, but. I'm, I'm pretty confident that is also a child. So I feel like the only one that's like really up for question is this Everest. I mean, it is a cool band name. Everest Hobson. Welcome, Seattle! Everest Hobson! Like it works. I think, I think you need to do the entire show like that from now on. I, I, I can only do it once. Is, I would lose my voice. Okay, hold on. James, is, the, is it H-O-B-S-O-N? Hobson? H-O-B-S-O-N. That is correct. I'm leaning band. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of leaning that way, too. Uh, I agree with you, and here's why. Even though I, I can't match a celebrity parent with a celebrity child, I do pay attention to the names when they come out because they're so ridiculous and they irritate me so much that I feel like if this were a celebrity child, I might not be able to pair it with its parent, but I at least would have heard of it, whereas there's so many bands I've never heard of. It, would it be- makes sense. It would be in your Rolodex of hate. Last call. It <laughs> with so many other entries. Last call. Uh, so James. Okay. I think we're going to go. Gnarls Barkley Band, Greta Van Fleet Band, Power Queen, <laughs> Child, Powerful <laughs> Queen Child, Everest Hobson Band, and Zuma Nesta Rock Child. Okay. And yes. then, and I think we need to go for it points wise, because really the only the only question is the Everest, so it's just a fifty fifty. Throw five celebrity babies down on. Uh, throw them, <laughs> throw them hard, throwing, <laughs> and, we're, and we're throwing babies, and we're throwing babies. So, band or name? Identify whether each clue is a band name or a celebrity baby name. Gnarls Barkley, you guys say that's a band. And yes, it is a band, as a matter of fact. That one you got right there, so let's move on to the next one. Greta Van Fleet. You guys say that's a band? Yes, it is. That is, in fact, a band. Uh, Let's see. Zuma Nesta Rock. You say that's a baby name? Yes, it is. That's Gwen Stefani and Gavin Rossdale's baby. And then we go Powerful Queen. You guys say that's a baby name? Yes, it is. That's oh. Nick Cannon. Oh, right. It was Nick Cannon. Yes. And then uh, <laughs> Everest Hobson. You guys say band. <sighs> it's a celebrity baby name. No. <laughs> it's George it's Lucas's kid, as a matter of fact. Oh. Everest oh. Hobson. George Lucas. So, unfortunately, oh. we lose the five points on that. Our oh. last George call Lucas. trivia team's final score today was 15 out of a possible <sighs> 30 points. So they did not, in fact, beat their average up until this point, but still a very spirited game with lots of discussion of uh, ragtime and special instruments, instruments, which I believe you were talking about the har- harpeg. The harpeggy. The harpeggy. Yeah, that, the harpeggy. I was going to say, I don't know yeah, how you pronounce you it exactly. It. And I can't tell if ragtime's ever won a Grammy, but there have been some arrangements that used ragtime music that has won Grammys in uh, the last, you know, 40 years or so. So anyway, that's what I've got for you as far as bonus uh, notations and I'm sure I'm there's just, other stuff you guys want to discuss having gone through that episode just now. Well, I'm just going to add today to the, the my list of times that George Lucas has personally disappointed me. Has let you down? Yeah. Well, I'm going to say, I, in, in my defense, I wasn't watching TMZ when George Lucas was having children, so I probably didn't hear the name at that point, but... Um, I think that harpeggies are a more interesting thing to discuss. So what is a harpeggie? 
It's a cross between a piano and a guitar. I'm not kidding. Or an accordion and a... I mean, it's so weird. And uh, uh, Okay, they're calling it a, a cross between an accordion and a pedal steel guitar. Huh. I saw Harry Connick Jr. play one on American Idol. I'd never seen one. I looked it up. I was convinced, just like the accordion, you know, it was going to be my instrument until I realized how much they cost. <laughs> but the, the primary maker is in rural Maryland, and it is a very, you know, niche interesting instrument that, you know, I've, I've never, it's very unique. I've never seen anything like it, and I've never seen anyone other than Harry Connick Jr. play one. Is it an electric instrument, or is it an acoustic instrument? No. Uh, you know, I wonder if you could if you could plug it in to then uh, amplify but the it. But the sound is generated through acoustic principles. Can you picture when you're a little kid, and what do you call that? It's not a harpsichord. What do you play? The auto harp? The auto harp, yes. When you're a little kid, yeah. uh, and in like, you know, music class or whatever. Picture something a very high level version of that kind of reminds me a little bit of a hurdy gurdy, but that's more like it's that's nothing like a hurdy gurdy. That's more like that's more like a violin it's, with a crank on it. It's literally nothing like Stevie that. Stevie Wonder also apparently plays it. Really? Oh, interesting. Huh. So backing up the um, whole piano aspect of it. I ran across an interesting instrument uh, the other day called a lyricon. I had never heard of it. It looks like an electric a clarinet. And it is essentially a it is a handheld synthesizer that you manipulate with the with your breath. So it's not it's it's electrically powered, but it has a sensor that detects your breath being pushed into it, hmm. and that will affect things like volume and tone and everything. And then you play it not unlike a clarinet uh, or a flute, but it has an incredible like it, it is a synthesizer. So it all runs into a board that you can program to do different stuff, and it, you can you can switch the octave with a foot pedal, and so you can have like a a 10 octave range on this weird like space clarinet it's really really interesting but almost no one plays it sounds like something george lucas would be into i saw a really a really cool instrument uh, a few years ago it was a small run project and it was an electronic guitar and note i said electronic not electric it was it was a midi powered device and it had a touchscreen on it and so you actually could finger pick by by manipulating the touchscreen it was very high sensitivity uh, touchscreen and otherwise functions similarly to a guitar, but with all of the functions of a full MIDI, you know, piano or electric oh, piano kind of kind of kit in a guitar form factor. So, um, but it had buttons instead of you know strings and many more buttons. You know, a little bit like a Guitar Hero controller, right? But infinitely more buttons. I think it had 108 buttons on the what would be the fretboard on a guitar. Um, really cool sounds that you could get out of it. And lots of uh, lots of cool, weird ways that you could use it in uh, in recording music. Fabulous. By, by the way, just to let you guys know, Everest Hobson, George Lucas's daughter, was born in 2013. <laughs> so, so I was watching you, you TMZ. Were, you were watching TMZ. <laughs> Thank you so much to all of our listeners for tuning in for the show. If you enjoyed it, please be sure to like, subscribe, and share today's episode. And if you're looking for more trivia fun, head over to lastcalltrivia.com and check out our live shows, private events, trivia card game, and more. We'll be back next week for another episode of the Last Call Trivia Podcast. Until then, stay curious. Stay curious.